Well, good morning. Good morning. If you're with us here um, for the first time or visiting, what we're doing is we started a series in the book of Ephesians, and it was started two weeks ago, and now we are continuing the book. And there was an overview given and some teaching from the first chapter of Ephesians. And now what I've been tasked with this morning is going through the first, the second chapter, excuse me, of Ephesians. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to there. And what we plan to do in the will of the Lord and with his help, there is 22 verses here in this book. Um, We will not attempt to try to cover the whole thing. We will make some comments uh, for your own um, study and uh, for your own exploration, if you so choose a desire. I'm, I would encourage you, though, as, I'm, as I've been given this chapter, but the, the whole book, there's a lot of foundational truth here, right, in this book. Um, and if anything, when we come to it, You know, we come to God's word and he's showing us things. It motivates us, right? There's something within us. The Holy Spirit is motivating us. Uh, We just heard a verse from Aiden. I mean, very powerful. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? To continue in the pleasures and to continue in, in occupying ourselves with work? It says for good works. So there's something in there that not that we're looking to boast, right? Well, hopefully we'll get to cover that today. But we're created for good works. And so every time we come and and God reveals himself through his word and and the spirit of God is teaching us, the indwelling spirit that we have, the third person in the Trinity, and which God has prepared beforehand, this is verse 10, that we should walk in them, right? So the manner of your life, right, is to walk in these things. And it's very foundational what we we find in Ephesians. But let's just read, um, we'll read the whole chapter um, here in in chapter 2 and then we'll uh, start our study here. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 and I'm reading from the New American Standard. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the year of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we all, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and has raised us up, with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that the ages to come he might show us the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God not of not as a result of works that no one should boast for we, are his, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that you formerly, the Gentiles in the flesh, 
who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at the time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who had brought together, um, who, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances that he himself might make into two one new man, thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both into one body in God through the, cro- through the cross. By it having put to death the enmity and he came and preached peace to you who were far away and, peached, and, and peace to those who were near. And through him we both have our access in the spirit to the father. Since then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens uh, with the saints that are the household, that are God's household, being built together upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building is being fit together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. And so really, when we come to this first part, um, I have a simple outline up there uh, for you to just look at. We'll, we'll try to stick by it. At least in the first two points I think we'll get to is man's condition and God's solution to man's condition. This is one through five is man's condition. Verse four to 10 is God's solution to man's condition. Um, God meets where man is, right? And as dire as man's problem is, and as dire as it looks today, God's solution can trump it, right? And God's power can overcome it and correct it. I don't know if you've ever gotten this feeling before. Maybe not when you look out into the world and see what's going on, but have you ever felt like you're not in control of something, right? Something is spinning out of control, whether it's... um, You know, some kind of harsh situation that's come into your life, loss of job. I I don't know. You know, there there are real situations, right? But if you look at the world, sometimes I almost get a feeling that it's going out of control, right? There's unrest over here. And it seems like there's no peace between two countries. And they're always looking at war, right? But how can this be corrected? Well, the world will have its answer, right, in a man. But it's a false answer. But, you know, God... um, has the power, right, to correct these things, and he will eventually. But he has the problem to correct man's condition, right? Man's problem is the heart, right? And he's able to draw people out of that situation, draw people out of the condemnation of death, and make them sons of the kingdom, as we read in in chapter 1. So 11 through 12, just two verses, is the division of Gentile and Jew. I don't think we'll touch too much on this, um, in the will of the Lord next week is chapter 3, and our brother um, Michael Renth will be covering that, and I think he's going to go into that, so we won't talk too much about that. 
11, uh, 13 to 18, again, is in connection with that, is the uniting in Christ. And this is really, fa- this is really fascinating. It doesn't mean maybe too much to us because we're, um, I think most of us in this room are Gentiles already, right? We are strangers to the covenant of promise. And, you know, today, because we live in the church age, right, and we've been brought into Christ and we have these blessings, if we were just to transport ourselves, say, I don't know, two, you know, maybe 2,500 years ago or even before that, before Christ came, before the, the advent of the church, right, there was a people that were set apart. And there still are, right? God's not done with them. And they were given certain promises that, that, and, and certain access to the one true God. They were supposed to be God's signet ring on the world. God was to, you know, the, the purpose of a signet ring was to stamp something and say, here, you know, here's King Brian. He authorizes this with his signet ring. So God's signet ring, he was going to take Israel and stamp it everywhere. This is God's work, right? They were a small people, but they were doing great things because God was behind them, right? And they were be, to be a testimony, right? And their temple that was built was only for them. It wasn't for the Gentile. It wasn't for the foreigner, and it even says, I think in Herod's temple, there was an inscription that those who are non-Jews, you know, are going to be put to death if they cross this line, right? There was a serious enmity between the two people. Now, there were proselytes and people that had come into, um, you know, that were seeking, and God made allowance for those who were non-Jews to come if they were sought after the Lord. You know, you do have lots of Gentiles mentioned, even in the line of Christ, right? You have Rahab and... and um, and those who, are, who were not Jewish, uh, Ruth and whatnot. But um, there was a big uh, division between the two. But now in Christ, there is no Jew and Gentile, right? There's no more going to the temple. There's no more of those sacrifices, completely new. But he's brought these two together. And we have that in verse 13 to 18, the uniting in Christ. And it's really, it's really an awesome thing when you think about this because, you know, it talks about, in verse 14, that he himself is our peace had brought the two groups together, broken down the barrier of the dividing wall. And so what God set up, right? Remember in the garden, there was a failure. Adam and Eve, right? Uh, Adam sinned, Eve sinned. And there was a separation there. And what God told them, right, is that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. The usurper who usurped authority right? Satan would be crushed by the seed. And so if you trace that line from Adam, I didn't do it with, with a slide. I thought about doing it, but if you go through Adam's line, right, there was, there, there was always an attempt to crush that seed, right? And the enemy was trying to disrupt God's plans. Remember the first brothers, there was a murder there. Can you imagine an offspring right off the bat, right? Cain kills Abel. You might think, oh, that's it, you know. They thought, first of all, they probably thought Cain was the man. He was the person that was going to bring about the correction, right? Here's the seed that was going to make things right, but he wasn't. But in any case, you know, then there was Seth. And then there was another catastrophe, you know, Noah, all starting again. And then there was a new line. And then it came through Abraham. And then there was, you know, there was an Ishmael. Then it came through uh, Isaac. And then there was two. There was another split, right? Esau. And then there was Jacob. And so there was this dividing wall all the way to you get to who? To Christ, right? And even when you look through um, 
history. You know, there was people that had tried to disrupt that dividing wall and tried to penetrate it and tried to ruin God's plans. Um, I think of Athaliah. Actually, this is interesting. These two kings are not mentioned in Matthew, but uh, Joash was saved. You know, Athaliah came in. She, was, she saw that her son was, was dead, put to death, and she came in to try to rule. And what did she do? She killed all the royal offspring of David. But there was one that was saved, right? And so, you know, if you look at this thing, there was a dividing wall. And who was it? God set it up, right? Until Christ came, right? He had to be born of David, right? It was prophesied. And you have those two, Joseph coming from the line and also Mary, too, coming from the line of Nathan, a son of David. But in any case, that wall now is gone because Christ has come and he has brought together these two bodies, right? Jew and Gentile, and he's made them one in his own uh, by, the de- uh, by his work on the cross, so the uniting in Christ. And then 19 to 22, um, I remember when I was teaching Sunday school, we always would... would um, Talk about the church, the three B's, right? He likens it to a body here in this chapter. Actually, he does talking about the body, a building. And that's what it is in 19 to 22. And then the bride, um, the church is likened to a bride. But the church is a dwelling of God. And, that, and that's really, it's a fascinating thing when you think about this. When it says this in, in, in verse 21, it says the whole in whom the whole building is being fit together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. And 22, in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Remember, God only chose to dwell in one place, right? His city was Jerusalem. And one day he will come back, right, and reign, and that will be the central part of earth's government, will be Jerusalem again. But he dwelt uh, in the tabernacle, right, and over the holies of, holy, uh, holies of all, right? And, but now he, he's dwelling in the, in the church, right? It's built up, and this is where God's dwelling is. It's really a fascinating thing when you think about this. And so that's 19 to 22. But what we want to look at is the first section. Um, is man's, oh, some other themes. We'll just quickly go through this. And this is just for your own, um, own looking at this. We won't look, touch too much into this, but... When you read through the Bible, you know, you, you got to look at you look at different things, but you, you start seeing these phrases that are repeated, or at least these ideas. And one of the things is is unity and togetherness, and especially when it comes with Christ, together with Him. And you'll see that He's made us alive together with Him in verse five, verse six. He's raised us up with Him. He's seated us with Him also in verse six, and also He's built us together right with Him. And there's that sense of unity. Also, the word unity I use for the one, the oneness, right? There's one man, there's one body, and there's one spirit. This is a theme that will be picked up um, in chapter 4 when we get to it in the will of the Lord a few weeks. But the oneness in the church, right? There's no more individuals, right? We're all brought into Christ. We are individuals in the sense that, you know, we, we come and he doesn't make us into, you know, robots or anything like that. But, you know, we're brought into Christ right now. We're in Christ into one body. No more uh, Jew or Gentile or slave or master or any of that. Right. Um, you know, even female and male. Right. Females and males, as we learned yesterday or in Ephesians five. Right. They're co first uh, Peter. They're co-heirs of the grace of life. Right. And so. Um, 
that's a theme that we find here started in this chapter and well into the other parts of the book. But really, when we look at man's condition, it says this in verse one. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. And really, when you look at this, you know, there were no chapter breaks in this original letter. Right. This was a continuous letter. If I were to write um, a letter, a thank you note. Right. And then somebody, you know, thousands of years later. Well, if it was a little bit longer, let's say. But they, what they did is right. They 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 broke it into verses. But this was really a continuous letter. And when you look at chapter two, they, it's a connection to chapter one. And what he's talking about in chapter one is is the power of God. If you just look at in, in your own uh, Bible, but he's talking about Christ being raised from the dead, seated with him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above the rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is not that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come. And he put all things in, in subjection under his feet. This is the Lord Jesus and gave him head over the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. So he's talking about a great power that was displayed right in the raising of Jesus Christ. And seated in heavenly places. Now, what he's going to do, he's going to bring that power, and that same power is going to be used to pluck people out, right, from the world system, from the condemnation of death. Um, in Zechariah, it talks about um, there was a priest that was there standing in this vision, right, and his name was uh, Joshua, and he's clothed there with dirty clothes, and and there's this. Uh, there's this interaction, and, and Satan's there and accusing him, but he, the Lord calls him a, a, a brand plucked from the fire, right? And that's literally what it is. It's like we're under the condemnation of death. But with that same power, he brings us out. Um, and you who are dead in your trespasses and sins. One thing I did want to mention, though, um, and we, we touched on it a little bit this morning as far as knowledge. You know, what, the closer you get to... God, the more he reveals of your of himself. Look in verse 18. I pray that your lies may of your heart be enlightened, that you might know the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory and the inheritance of the saints. And verse 17, that I give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. And so the closer that you get to the Lord, the more he reveals of himself. Perfect example is Abraham. Abraham was given just a few verses, right, in our, in our Bibles, in, verse, in chapter 12 of Genesis. Leave your country, leave your relatives, and go. But eventually it gets to him going out and conquering people, conquering kings that were greater than him. And then all of a sudden, there's this king who comes and reveals something new about God, right? Melchizedek comes, reveals something new. And then there's more revelation of of God towards Abraham eventually gets to the point where Abraham's, you know, he's promised about Isaac there in chapter 18, but God invites him upon a, a judgment that he's about to pour out on two cities. And he says, this is very interesting. It says that God speaks out loud for us to hear him. He says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And so God invites Abraham into what he's about to do in judgment on this city. And what does he ask Abraham to do? Abraham pleads for that city, right? And we have the ability, right, to be pleading for sinners, right, to be saved, to, you know, to come to him and pray to him. And it's, it's interesting that it's talking about judgment, right, and reigning. And one day we, too, will be reigning with him. But I found that interesting, a little side note, that 
the closer we get to the Lord, the more that he reveals of himself. And we're going to have the ages to come that he's going to be showing us the surpassing riches of his grace. But you who are dead in your trespasses and sins. This idea of being dead, um, I think we've heard this before. Um, When somebody's dead, they're separated is literally what it means. When a person you see... um, if you see them dead, right, that body, you don't say, well, there's so-and-so. Well, that's just his body. What, who that person is is now separated, right? They're not there anymore. And so the dead that he's talking about is spiritual, is spiritual. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, right, it says in the day that you sin, you will die, God told them. But did they drop dead at that second in the sense that we would commonly think of dead? Well, they didn't. Right? But what happened was, is their faculties of morality were skewed now. Right? They were separated from the life himself. God was the one who gave them life. God was the, the source of good behavior, the source of their morality. Now they're separated from him. Eventually they would die. Right? Adam lived 900 plus years. But you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, the connection to the death or them being dead was trespasses and sins. Right. If you look at trespasses, um, you see in a sign, right, with the with the you know red uh, circle with the red slash going through it, no trespassing or whatever. Maybe it's just red letters. You know, it's always on a fence or something. And the idea is is to stray off the path. That's what trespassing is. Sin, and you've heard that before, is somewhat of a military or sport term. Means to miss the mark. You know, with an arrow or something that you're throwing at a target, and in connection to those both things, we are dead. You. He, he talks to the Christians here before Christ. And really it's the condition of the unsaved world. But let's look in verse 2. It says, which were formerly, In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So there's a, little, there's a couple of things that, here that are mentioned. Man's condition, as it says there, walked, is the idea, there is walking, right, when you physically walk, but when it's talking here, walk, it's the course of their life, right? The course of their life, if you just were to to label it with one word, it's sin. And I I drew a little illustration, and it's very, very simple, but it helps me. If you were to draw a circle, and in this circle, they can't penetrate that that circle, right? They, once they're in it, they're in it. They can't get out of it. And if you were to draw little people, I just drew some, uh, it's a picture in PowerPoint of smiley faces. But if those are people, that's the unsaved world. That was us. In that world, in that circle is sin. And that's where their life is, right? That's the only thing they know. That's the only thing they can do apart from Christ, right? Somebody needed to come in and penetrate that circle to bring them out. They can't get out of it. And I think that helps our minds as as now being Christians, right? We were part of that system at one point, right? But, you know, when we're coming to give them the gospel, or as we're called to, right, to be witnesses to the unsaved world, understand this, that that's all they know is sin. They can't, you can't come to them and say, listen, you know, let's talk about how you're going to fix your life, and you need to stop doing this, this, and this, and start doing this. It doesn't start with that, right? And they need to have... The gospel, right? That's the power, the, that's the power that, that, that God uses, right? The work of the Lord Jesus Christ to rescue. He used it to rescue me, right? And he used it to rescue you. But, you know, their life is, it's just, 
consistently, right, con- conducted their life in sin. And it gives three things here. According to the course of this world, right, they, they walked according to the course of this world. This world is in opposition to God. Everything about it. I mean, that, that's shocking to me when I thought about it. That means everything that I find fun and entertaining, right, movies, uh, things that, I mean, I mean, it, it's, it, when you start thinking about it, it, it's not like ants or things like that, right, and grass. But I'm, I'm talking about the world system, right? Things that would come from the mind that comes from the ruler of this system, right? Dominated by the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, right? This course of this world is in opposition to God, right? So those who are unbelievers, just like we were before Christ, walked according to this world. That means the desires, their pursuits, what they think in their mind, it's all in opposition towards God, right? And the course of this world, it's calm. The Bible also talks about three enemies. We see them here, right? The flesh, the world, and the devil. We see these three things here that are at war against us. According to the uh, prince of the power of the air, the idea of a prince, if you think, you think of a son, well, he's not really, he's not a son of God in that sense. If you think, well, who's his father? The idea of a prince is somebody who holds power. But it's, it's of the power of the air. It's interesting that it's the lower hemisphere, right? It's the realm where we are at right now. He's not in heaven, you know, ruling in that sector. But right now, he's in, you know, he is dominating the hearts of the men, well, of people of this age and, you know, ever since the fall, right? He usurped authority in the garden. So of the lower hemisphere, the prince of the power of the air is in domination. In connection with that, it talks about a spirit here. It says, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Um, this is also mentioned in Thessalonians, I believe, the spirit of Antichrist that is still working in the hearts of men. There is a constant spirit um, that is in connection with Satan, the prince of the power of the air, that is opposed to everything that God is. And especially about his plan of salvation, about Christ. So I don't know if you ever have um, gone in the workplace or in school. Uh, and just talking to anybody, when do people start becoming more hostile and more rigid when you open your mouth about the Lord Jesus? You can talk about anything else. You know, you can talk about something profane. You can talk about uh, something that is so heinous. But the minute you open your mouth about the Lord Jesus Christ... Well, they'll talk about everything else, but the minute that they become hostile, you know, or they become combative. And, and it's that spirit that's working in their heart, the son of disobedience. They are disobedient to God as we were before, um, before Christ saved us, before we, we responded by faith, right? So the spirit is in connection to the prince of the power of the air. It continues in verse 3. Among whom... We all, we too, he's connecting them right to this. They were there too. Among whom uh, them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And there's a couple things here I mentioned, and I just labeled it as this total depraved nature, and that's the flesh. And it still is, right? The flesh is now, as a believer, at war right, with the spirit. But the flesh 
is totally depraved. It's no longer the central point of morality, right? Because it's not connected with its life anymore. It's not connected to God, right? Eventually it's going to be done away with, right? That's why we're going to be given new bodies. But what the flesh desires is, is, is constantly evil. The next point I pointed is habitually just doing evil desires. Look at this. It says indulging in the desires of the flesh from the mind which were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And so um, not only it comes from their, it comes from the uh, inside, right, the flesh, but their mind, their place of reasoning, the faculty that they use to make decisions, it's bent on evil. And then it says this, it says born into, I, I label it as born into wrath, children of wrath. Um, the idea of children, right, is they're born into something. And so we are born since the day that, we're, that we were brought into this world, right, formed in our mother's womb, are born into this situation, right? If we were there in the garden thousands of years ago, we would have chose the same thing. But God is saying that we don't have to make the choice, right? It's already been made, and that nature resides in us, right? Children of wrath, even as the wrath. And this is a very strong word. Where does this come from? Where, why is it children of wrath? Well, it's God's intense hatred towards sin, right? God cannot stand sin. He loves sinners, right? We're going we're gonna to read that in a few verses from now. Actually, the very next verse. But his intense hatred to sin is called wrath. Children of wrath, even as the rest. But now the good news. That, if we look at man's condition... And let me just mention about this, too. Um, there's, there's some popular teaching. I don't know how popular it is. I shouldn't say that because I don't really know. But there is, there's a school of thought out there that would label this as one of their points of teaching, and it's called total depravity, right? And, they, and, and I believe that is true because that's total depravity. But it's not to the point where they, they would take it in the sense that that person cannot respond at all towards God. Right? There is still a responsibility of man to respond. And God has revealed it to them. Right? He wouldn't be wasting his time with Nicodemus. He wouldn't be wasting his time with these people, the woman at the well, if they didn't, weren't going to respond. And so while there is told depravity, right, the light had to come in. Right? The light shone into the world. The darkness could not comprehend it. Right? Couldn't overcome it. But somebody needed to interject into this world and that person was the Lord Jesus to show us the way, right? To show us the truth. Um, and there's still response by man, right? God has, is going to present this great plan of salvation, but man still needs to respond to it because if he doesn't, he's still on his way towards wrath as, a child, as, a, as born into it. But these words, this is great. But God, after all that, if you look at man's condition, how poor it is, but then there's but God. So God's in, intense hatred for sin, right, and that's dwelling in man, well, his, in, his great love and mercy, which is boundless, is now going to meet that, right, and overcome it. I mean, it's truly great when you think about this. Rich abundantly in everything. It says this, being rich in mercy because of his great love for which he loved us. In connection to his rich mercy, well, how does he, why is it that he's rich in mercy? What well, says, because of his great love for which he loved us. 
So in, in order to satisfy his love, the richness of his mercy has just overpoured right towards sinful man, us. And that word love, we, we've heard this before. I'm not a big scholar on Greek, but um, it's agape, right? Agape. And if you think of one of the most famous verses of love, right? God so loved the world, John 3.16, that he gave his only begotten son. So God's um, heart is revealed for an object, right? We were those objects. God revealed his love towards us that he gave us his son. And that's what it's saying here, that God's mercy is now being seen because of his great love for which he loved us. Even, verse 5, when we were dead in our transgressions. So this, we've seen this before, right? This is coming from verse 1. It's almost like verse 2 to verse 4 is a parenthesis. So he picks it right back up. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he added all those things, being dead in transgressions, what that means. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So there's a new life imparted, right? And this, is only, this can only come about by God, right? Remember, we were those who were dead. We were those who could not help themselves. We were born as children of wrath. We were depraved. Um, our faculties and our mind and everything, our morality was all skewed. It was separated from our life being God. But God has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and has raised us up with him and seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so made us alive, alive with Christ is the new life. But with that, right, there was a death. Right? Jesus Christ had to die, right? And that's very significant. It talks about, if you look in, in Romans chapter 6, it talks about that we are baptized into his death, right? So sin is, is dealt with, right? We were uh, talking about this yesterday at the wedding, that when two become one flesh, they leave the former associations behind, right? I don't bring those to my marriage with Wednesday. There's a lot of things I do bring, right, that I had to, that I'm learning to let go, but we're becoming one new man, right? My, me and my wife. So when I'm joined with Christ, this new life, I leave those former associations behind. That body of sin has been put to death. That which has governed my life has now been put away, right? Sin. That circle has been broken. And now I've been brought into God's family and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, this new life, right? Baptized into his death first, right? The body of sin put to death. That which governed my life. And he's made us alive with Christ. It says this. And seated us and raised us in verse 6. And seated us with him in heavenly places. Right? And this is this has not happened yet. So this is a spiritual thing. But it's in Christ. So where Christ is. He's our representative. There he is in glory. We too were going to be there soon. But he has raised us up with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But it says this. It says a parenthesis here in verse 5. By grace you have been saved. This is a, um, this comes before verse 8 and verse 9, two verses that we know well. But this grace that he showed us is a past event. While it happened many years ago, which none of us, I can say, comfortably were there, right? We weren't there 2,000 years ago. But its effects are, have continued ever since. And they will, right? That was a past event. And the minute that you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved, but there's a continuing event, right? To the present, still saved. And not just that. Um, 
I listed a couple of things, right, that has happened. If you can call these, the Bible, you know, mentioned these different things, what have happened when you're, when you're saved. So not only, you know, when you say saved, well, what exactly? Well, it also, it talks about being justified, justification, being declared right, right? Before we were wrong, children of wrath, God's holy wrath was going to fall upon us. Condemned, you can call. On one side, now in Christ, Christ took the, the sin penalty. Now God, somebody needed to come in and declare us right, right? Somebody needed to give us his righteousness, or uh, righteousness, and that's God. So God declares us right, being saved. Um, set apart or sanctified. First, you know, we were set apart because we're given a new life. We're set apart to him. But progressively, right, we should be as believers wanting to fulfill that which is a reality inside of our lives, right? We have the Holy Spirit living within us, and there's a progression, too, of being sanctified through the washing of the word, uh, through the Holy Spirit working in us, through carrying out his commandments, right? We're being progressively set apart for him and for his use. And then ultimately, this hasn't happened yet for any of us here. We're going to be given a new body, right? And so ultimately, we're going to be saved from the presence of sin. And so all these things have happened, since we've come to the Lord Jesus. And it says here, seated us with heavenly places. We mentioned that he's our representative, right? One day we will be there um, in glory, but he has gone before us and he's performing a work up there as our great high priest, but he's now at the right hand of God. And so God's salvation is a free gift. It's not something that we can work for. It's not something that comes about from us you know, performing some kind of good works. It says this in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. I like this illustration. I read this somewhere. That, you know, imagine that you're on a, uh, well, today is pretty hot, you know, I'm sure later, and you're going to want to get a drink and you're not in your house or by a water fountain where you go to a water hose. Um, so when you go to grab it, you know, you don't stick the hose in your mouth and start chewing it or anything like that. It's the water that actually um, satisfies your thirst. So you have to turn it on, but it comes through that hose, right? And so faith is sort of that hose, it's been said, and out of that comes, right, the refreshment, and the, it fulfills the desire, right? And so God uses faith as the, uh, uh, as the vehicle in which his grace will be channeled towards you. Right? So by faith, you believe God's promises, and he channels that grace towards you. By grace, you have been saved through faith, and it's not of ourselves. This is in connection to the salvation. Salvation did not come from us. It originates with God. It's a gift of God, not of works. Again, connection to the salvation so that no one should boast. And so God's masterpiece, it says in verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk with them. And we'll, we'll end with this as a, as a word of application. I don't know if you've ever asked yourself this question. You know, how can, how can God didn't just take us out of here once we got saved? You know, why not? Why do we have to continually go through the struggles and, and the grind of life, you know, and, and heartache and, and different things? Not that, you know, I want to make it all, you know, dreary or, or, or negative, you know, but God has left us a work here to do. He has. Um, and, and we should be searching our own hearts to find out what that is if we've lost that aim, right? And we've lost that goal. He's prepared us. We are God's 
as it were, pottery. And God is shaping us and molding us. And it says here, he gives us insight, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Why good works? Because God is good. Doing things that please our creator, doing things that please our savior, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Remember, before Christ, we were walking according to the course of this world. Right in that circle, we could not get out of it. But now God has created a new circle and put us in Christ, created for good works that we should walk in. And guess what? While that person over here had no choice, right? The Holy Spirit is always going to be pushing us towards that and battling against the flesh. But we have a choice now, right? To, you know, it's possible, it says this in this book, to grieve God by our behavior. Can you imagine that? To grieve the Holy Spirit who's pleading with us to, to do the things that please God, to do the things that uh, honor Him, right? He has given us new life. And as we look at this, as we look at the condition of man in the world right now, right, apart from God, doesn't that motivate you to present him, to present that person, whoever whoever it is, family member, friends, your neighbor, people that you've prayed for, to present them with the solution, God's solution, the only thing that can trump man's condition. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love or which is love us, why not tell them that, right? Why not be motivated enough to go out and tell them of his great love? If anything, if you are a true believer here. So we should be motivated for good works. God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. He's created a new circle for us to walk in. Praise the Lord that he's given us a work to do. He hasn't just left us here just to um, enjoy his... his, um, his benefits, and he has done that, right? And we do enjoy his benefits, but there's a work to do. Good works, carrying out his, his command, not to, to heap praise upon ourselves, right? But to glorify the one who saved us. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we just thank you for this time that we had to look into your word. And Lord, we just thank you that your solution can meet our problems. We just thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who fills all in all. And we seek to glorify him and honor him uh, through this meeting as we look into your word and learn more about him. We just pray, Lord, as we continue uh, throughout the week that these things uh, will be ever present in our heart, Lord, that we would be motivated unto good works that you prepared beforehand that we should be doing. In Lord Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.